This talk we're thinking about this week is so exciting. It's on the most amazing topic one could imagine, which is how can we enter into the kingdom of God and how can we be confident in the reality of what Jesus has uh, accomplished on the cross. So one of the things I can't convey on a recording is that we were using the Narnia series, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, to use a couple of examples, particularly when the children are exploring and finding the wardrobe for the first time. When Lucy first goes into the room, the attic, which is up the stairs, and she sees this big, long, uh, tall piece of furniture that is behind a, a curtain or a cloth, uh, there's tremendous symbolism in that, and we thought about this, but I didn't talk about it in the sermon. When she came into that room, uh, it's a symbol of the Holy of Holies, where the Jewish people used to worship, but the Holy of Holies was the place where only a priest could go once a year. And when Jesus was crucified, and when he finally said it is finished, the great uh, big uh, curtain in the, middle, in, in the Holy of Holies, it was inches thick, it was very, very thick and tough, was torn from top to bottom. And it was God speaking about how with Jesus' crucifixion, it's now not just a priest who can come into his presence, but through the blood of Jesus, we are all invited into uh, the cleansing work of Jesus. But more than that, we're invited into re relationship with him and relationship with and in the kingdom of God. So when Lucy pulls on that curtain, on, the, on that uh, piece of cloth, she draws down that curtain and it, it comes down, falls down like a river of flowing water. And there's tremendous symbolism in that. And then she opens the cupboard and she hides in the cupboard. And when she opens the cupboard, in fact, mothballs come out. And there's a huge, I think, symbolism there of of how empty ritual and empty religion in many traditions end up being places of death and not life that they're supposed to be. And the, the very pathway to God is often um, blocked by ritual and meaningless sacrifice. And so she backs through the clothes that are in that wardrobe and the wardrobe has clothes that are all fur coats. And I think there's symbolism there of the fact that those fur coats are symbolic possibly of animal sacrifice that is the Old Testament way of appeasing God or saying, God, I'm sorry. And when Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, came, there was no need for the animal sacrifices anymore because he is the perfect sacrifice. And so she backs into uh, that wardrobe through those, those uh, fur coats and then she finds herself in this whole new world which C.S. Lewis so magnificently uh, imagined as Narnia, which is where Aslan, the, the king, the, the lion rules. And of course, that is the kingdom of God. So those are the, that's the backdrop out of which uh, we're talking and thinking this morning. Luke 15, chapter, chapter 15, verse 20. The prodigal's been all over the place. He's taken his father's money. He's run away. He's spent it on wine, women, and song. He went, whoops, I'm broke, and dad looks good right now. He's gone back terrified of what his father's going to do to him. And this is what happens. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arm around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, he sent to, uh, said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. 
Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what, he was, going, was, what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your, your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. It's not fair. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father, as we reflect this morning on what you have done, we pray that we would be a people who enter into the fullness of that celebration. And we pray that we would be those full of grace and full of gratitude. Gratitude for what you have done for us and grace as you are working in the lives of others. So Holy Spirit, will you take this word and really make it live for us that we might live more enthusiastically for you. Live with a joy in our hearts that is beyond understanding even to ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about the kingdom and I just want to quickly make an aside to that um, The kingdom is where God is. The kingdom is where God rules. The kingdom is where Jesus is present. Jesus, when he was on earth, came to share and open up the way for the kingdom in our lives and in the world. And in a sense, the the, the father's farm, the father's place, the father's house is a symbol of that kingdom. And uh, there are two brothers. The one brother says, I want my inheritance now, but I want no relationship. And he gets it. He gets all that God had wanted for him and he goes and he, he, he uses it and he pretends and he plays as if he is God. He says, I don't need you, I just want your stuff. Which is kind of similar to, God, I want you, your healing, I want this, I want that, I'd like you to make my life easy, but I want no responsibility and no relationship with you. The other brother's on the farm and he says, um, I've got all your stuff and I'm working hard for you, I'm trying to earn your favor, but I have no relationship with you either. You see, you can actually be in the kingdom or you can be out of the kingdom and you cannot be in celebration or in the, in, in the life of the father. And the father said to his son who was staying with him on the farm, he said, you've been here all your life. Everything I have is yours. So why haven't you cashed it in? Why haven't you used it? And the, father, the, the, the son, the older brother, was so, so intent on performing and doing stuff and working hard under the law that he never entered into the relationship that his father wanted him to have. And so he remained bitter and he remained... It's very significant when he says to his father, when his father comes out to him, he says, this, this son of yours. And his father responds at the end of that, uh, in verse 32, and he says, uh, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. In the kingdom, God calls us to brothers and sisters. Out of the kingdom is your problem. And we're going to think a bit this morning about, 
you know, what God intends for us, what God, and I'm, I'm really moving from uh, what we were talking about two weeks ago when I was talking about what was the reason for the cross, the reason for the, why did Jesus come? He came to reveal that, that, that God is a God of love, he came to reveal that God is kind, that God cares about his creation and takes responsibility for his creation. He comes and says, because there was a fall, in other words, because there was rebellion and human beings rebelled against God and they were separated from their sin, God took responsibility for that and sent his son who dealt with the consequences of that sin, the barrier that comes between us and God, and Jesus went to open up the way. That's what Narnia is about. It's going through the wardrobe, the Holy of Holies, pushing through the the animal sacrifices that was all they had. There were mothballs floating out of that thing when they opened the door. It's a religion. It's an icon. It's dead. The dead animals in there, they're mothballs, and it's dead and dark. And because of Jesus breaking and taking that, uh, that curtain down, and that curtain came down and looked like a river, he opened up something that before was not accessible. And I remember, well, a few weeks ago saying, you know, we, we used the analogy of computers and saying, isn't it remarkable that they designed computer keyboards to have a backspace and delete and a word check? And why on earth would they do that? And we thought about how we wring our hands and go, I'm not going to put my fingers on this keyboard in case I make a mistake. And of course we don't do that. We make all kinds of mistakes and we go, thank God for delete and backspace and word check. And we're trying to say that was Jesus saying, you know, the cross is delete backspace word check in your life. Quite literally, for God's sake, stop wringing your hands over your sin. Now they said that to Paul and he said, oh, so you're saying we shall sin so grace shall abound. He said, not at all. He just said, Satan will keep you stuck at sin for the rest of your life. You are not perfect. You're not going to be perfect. So get over it, is really what he's saying. And we use the analogy too of saying, you know, we don't get mortified about brushing our teeth every morning and say, oh God, forgive me, I've got to brush my teeth, I've got bad breath again. Oh Father, forgive me, I'm so sorry, I'll try harder. I mean, if you do, we could counsel you, but, you know, it's accepted as part of living on this earth in this way, that our bodies stink if we don't do something about it, our mouths stink if we don't do something about it. We basically are pretty smelly unless we do something about it pretty quickly and pretty regularly, correct? And maybe, never mind. And so, that is part of our life that we embrace. In fact, people make millions of dollars you know, telling us that we need even more than we need. And the cross is the same thing. The cross is about God saying, you need to um, allow me to forgive you day by day. I've given you this place where you can come and be made clean. You can have a mouthwash if you like and you can ask me to renew and clean you on the inside. Because all the other stuff in the washroom is on the outside. And that's what's called taking guilt away and cleaning. And some of us are getting stuck because we say, I'm not worthy. And he says, I know you're not worthy. That's why you've got the cross. That's why I put the washroom in. I don't know if you've come across a house that says, well, we don't have washrooms. We don't need them. I washed in 1975. It was wonderful. I gave my life then. It's stupid, isn't it? But that's how we live. And and we live now 
As if all God and Jesus was wanting to do was to bring us in the washroom and give us a shower. I mean, that is the extent of our Christian lives. Have you been washed yet? What deodorant do you use? Which means, what denomination do you belong to? What brand? Oh, you've got a big washroom or a little washroom. And all these squeaky clean, apparently, Christians, that's the purpose of Jesus. And one wonders why half the world goes, get a life. Who wants to spend their lives in a washroom with God? That's why we're so ineffective. Because the cross, if we're going on a scale of 1 to 10 on spiritual life, the cross is 1. It's the entrance. It's not it. And the good news is that Jesus said, I've come actually to blow open the back of the wardrobe and you're meant to live in a much nicer place. That's good news. Hmm. So what it would be like to actually for once and for all say, Jesus, thank you so much that you've placed, created a place for me to be forgiven. I am assuming that I am going to sin and I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to be ready. And if I look at John, I can see a full illustration of that. And there's no need to nod quite as enthusiastically, but you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yet you can use me. But there's going to be an issue that we're going to have to deal with, which is, it's a cool excuse if I don't really want to be used. So you break through the back of the wardrobe, you break through the cross, and Jesus forgives you, and you then clue in to maybe I'm actually getting clean in order to do something. That's a novel concept. And as you break through the wardrobe, they give you the scriptures, and he says, This is the book, this is the map. For the kingdom. This is the small print. This is what you get. This is your inheritance. Now if I said to you, there were millions of dollars in this book that if you find the right phrase you will get. I wonder if we'd have to have lessons on how to do Bible study. It all depends where your heart is. You'd comb this book if you knew there was millions and millions of dollars there that will actually be cashed in. So would I. But until we grab why it's important, we won't read it. It's important because it tells us what life in the kingdom is like and how God has crossed over the boundary between the kingdom and the prison camp in which we live and how he tries to make sense of both for us. He's not trying to tell us, be happy in the prison camp or in the attic. He's trying to say there is life beyond this that will make a huge impact now and Jesus came to show you how to do that. He says, when you get into Narnia, when you get into the kingdom, you have a whole new identity. You are no longer a prisoner. You are now an heir of the Father. This is not just language. Who are you? Are you defined by where you were born? Are you defined by your abuse issues? Are you defined by your father or your mother? Are you defined by your circumstances? You will never ever be free until you allow God to redefine you. Those are your circumstances. Those are not you. Jesus took hold of you and said, that is not who you are. Let me speak the truth into your life. You are dearly beloved. You are like the prodigal son. You are one whom I embrace and I celebrate for and I am delighted in. 
I'm not delighted in what's happening to you, but I love you. God and Jesus will always speak words of love to you that are very, very deep and profound. That's in this book. He, 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 he speaks to you words of welcome when you crash through the wardrobe. The problem is that we're so terrified of everything. Let's uh, go to number five. Please. background music. <laughs> the back of the cupboard is wood to those without faith, to those who can't see. Lucy was giving her testimony. She didn't need to go to a long course. She knew what she knew. And the things of God and the things that are real from God come through faith and through sharing with one another how to get there. And sometimes they feel very unbelievable. It's faith in Jesus that releases, releases vision and lets us enter into the kingdom. He did say, come into the kingdom as little children. And I think one of the, th the problems with adults is we think, too, we think too much. We think too much in order to defend staying in the attic. And the trouble is, the vast majority of those who call themselves Christians live in the attic. And they go through the wardrobe on Sundays and they go on little spiritual tourism expeditions. Then they come back because they don't want to leave what they left behind. And then they're neither happy in the attic or in Narnia. So we talk about what a lovely excursion that was, or what a nice service. 
which is ridiculous as saying I'm going to live in South Africa and come to Canada on a Sunday morning. In Revelation, in the word to the church in Laodicea, they call that lukewarmness. Saying you're neither this or you're that. And God's calling us to be a people who live in the kingdom. Who rarely see the kingdom. Because once you've seen it like Lucy, you go, I can tell the difference between the kingdom and the attic. I can't settle for the attic anymore. And that's you can't fake. All you can do is say, Jesus, please tell me. Please lead me into a place where I know your reality. There's no accusation here. There's no depressing word here. It's merely going, how real do you want it? And how much are you going to seek it? Which is the same as talking about the golfers earlier on. That's what I mean by practicing. You say where you are and you learn from that. And then you seek out how to move further. You can't actually expect it to happen without you entering in. So you open up this book, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and describes Jesus' life on earth, his teaching, his miracles, his relationship, because he brings the kingdom into our space and he shows how different it is. He speaks with a kingdom accent, in other words. And a kingdom accent is not voice. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And then after Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which is the events of Jesus, you get the Acts where, where Luke describes the growing of the early church. And Peter and Paul are the main characters in that, in that uh, description. And then Paul writes the letters to the churches that he has planted. He's the major intellect of the day. And what is Paul writing about? Paul is basically saying, I've got it. He's not saying it in terms of uh, boasting. He's merely saying, this is what the kingdom looks like. And all of Paul's letters are a description of what Narnia is like. And he describes what the crucifixion and the resurrection mean and what change is made possible. What do we inherit when we enter into the kingdom? And what difference can it make to live Jesus' prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you sift through Paul's writings like a mining gold and, and, and you look for what is this kingdom like that he's talking about? And you find nuggets that are amazing. And the one that I want to just focus on quickly is 1 Corinthians 15. One Corinthians fifteen verse nine. In the first uh, few verses of this chapter, he's talked about uh, what the gospel is, what is the good news, and he talks about Jesus, and he talks about what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection, and he talked about uh, the scriptures and the resurrection appearances to a whole bunch of people that Paul has actually met, and then including himself. And then he says this in uh, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So Paul's depressed, right? He's, he's, he's got a poor self-image and he's really crippled by this revelation 
that he was basically totally wrong. He was persecuting the church and he's responsible for a lot of innocent deaths. So he can't be used by God. But he broke through the back of the wardrobe on the Damascus Road. And God picked him up and he realized that he was totally wrong and he went to the cross and he was forgiven by Jesus. So he says this, he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. By the grace of God I am what I am. That is God's word to you this morning. And if you do nothing else this week, ask him to make that deeply true for you. Do you know what it means? I am what I am. I am what I am means I am what I am. Which means I am what I am. Which means there is nothing in your life that is an excuse or reason why God's going to say you have special needs. I mean, if I were you, I agree. Yeah, it's tough. It's not that. It's about embracing the reality of who you are. It's about embracing the reality of your sinfulness, uh, all the uh, all the nonsense out of your life and be able to say it is what it is and Paul says but the grace of God was not without effect and what did he mean he merely meant I brought all that I was because you could say I was what I was and I came to the cross and he made me I am what I am he took all the all the negative stuff, all the fallen stuff, and he forgave it, and now I am what I am. I am a man that knows my sinfulness, but I'm saved by grace. I've cashed in what God Jesus has done for me on the cross, and I've pushed through the wardrobe, and I'm now living out of that identity in the kingdom of God. I've got a new citizenship. I don't phone the Canadian office every week and ask them, am I still a Canadian citizen? I receive it and renew it every five years, but I receive it. And that's what God and Jesus desires for us as Christians. Live as citizens of the kingdom. And Paul says one of the first things that is so fundamental to his citizenship is his identity. I am what I am and God is working in me to make me what I am. That will change your life. And that's God's, I believe, promise for all of us. And that's what he's inviting us into. He's inviting us into being a new creation. And a new creation is one that has been planted and is growing. So a seed that is planted in the ground is a new creation. When it's planted into Jesus, you are a new creation. And when it's one inch above the ground, it's a new creation. And when it's three feet above the ground, it's a new creation. And when it's five feet above the ground, it's a new creation. It's a process of growth. And sometimes, I think, we believe we should be giant oak trees when we've just been planted. And so it's believing God for the new creation and saying, Lord, just continue to grow me up because I know that because I'm planted in Jesus, He's going to do some good things in me and through me. 
And so Paul says, on my own I am nothing, but in Jesus I have something new. Let's watch the next one and then we'll finish short. We'll, we'll be, be finished. It's number seven. This is slightly longer. 